I think we have these constructs. The plucky, courageous girl in the wheelchair or the pathetic, you know, CP kid or whatever, name a disease. So we either pity you or we're just, wow, she's so strong. And I think those are all dodges from telling stories about people. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm getting around to is that I don't think we tell that story well because we get caught up in the outward manifestation of the disease or whatever. The story you don't hear about and we don't tell is that people deal with this every damn day. And Mm -hmm. so they have to deal with it and then go on and do what you want them to do, right? Mm -hmm. What needs to get done. And that's the the fascinating coping thing. How do you box out a... Mm-hmm. Your feelings on something. How do you compartmentalize? Because otherwise, it could it would be debilitating. Mm-hmm. So you have to say, okay, that's I'm not dead today. So let's go do some work. Hey, you're listening to the obvious question. I'm your co-host Becky Smith, and in this episode, we're talking media, both the representation of people with disabilities in it, and what it's like to work in the industry as a person with a disability. That was Mark Hinojosa that you just heard from. He was one of Maddie's professors at the University of Missouri School of Journalism, but more importantly, her very close friend. They actually often joke that they're each other's therapists. That's because Maddie, of course, has muscular dystrophy, and Mark has what he calls terminal but treatable cancer. I'm trying to remember, like, the very first encounter. I'm pretty sure... I made a joke about, like, being in a wheelchair or, like, something, mm-hmm. and you responded to it in a way that was, like, usually whenever I say, like, a joke about it, people are kind of standoffish at first and very much not, like... Freaked out. What can I yeah, say? Yeah, they're like, do I laugh? Like, what do I do? And you always responded well to my dark sense of humor, and I feel like you kind of also have a similar sense oh, of humor. Oh, no, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> um... And I feel like, I don't know if that's just a side effect of chronic illness or like a coping mechanism. Well, I think you and I talk about things that we don't talk about other people. Death, you know, depression, all those things that we can tell each other. You're like my safe harbor on this. You and the, I mean, the wife and, you know, other people I have. But, and I can't believe I've, I'm as close to you as a student as I am. But we sort of clicked on this level. Yeah, you know, we're both dying and that's just the way it is. And mm-hmm. We could have decent conversations about it. Yeah, and I feel like it was conversations that we can't really have with other people. Because, like, as much as they can empathize, as much as they could, you know, want to be a good friend in the situation, if you can't relate to these things, there's not really much input you can give. And um, so it was really nice to have somebody that's older than me that's working in this industry that, you know, is still doing things beyond what doctors and medical people say is, you know, possible for them. And yeah, they keep asking me if I've retired. It's like, huh? I have a full load, kid, you know. And I don't want to retire. I mean, I jokingly tell my doctor I'm going to die with my boots on. I don't know what else I would do. Right? Just go home and I got all of Netflix, I guess. I could catch up. I don't know. But there's just not much that it's just, I don't know. It's, to me... I told Linda when I first came here before the things got crappy that I wanted to – I didn't want to die with what I knew. What I knew, what I've learned was so hard, one, that to take it with me to the grave would be, would be wrong. My small contribution to the world. 
before the J School, Mark had a long career in journalism. He has 15 years of experience as a photojournalist working in places like Kansas City, New York, and Chicago. And he worked as the photo editor and as an associate managing editor for the Chicago Tribune. But before all of that, he says he was just a young Mexican-American kid growing up in East L.A. Okay, so this is high start in photography. And I mean, what you guys call middle school, we call junior high in my day. I was in uh, art class. And we had, it's really interesting. They had really good teachers in those days in L.A. This woman's this French artist, you know, and she's teaching to make money. And so we were, she was teaching us how to do cross that shading, you know, and I was using a straight edge. I was making it very precise. She walked over and looked at me and said, no. And she picked me up and walked me across the hall to the photo teacher and says, he's one of yours. And they took me in the dark room, and he exposed the piece of paper, and he threw it in the developer, and it turned magically from white to an image. And you might as well give me heroin. I was so, I was just so struck by it. And I started shooting, I mean, I had to, you know, not a rich kid at all, I'm a you know, lower middle class kid from East L.A., so I had to work, had a crappy camera the first couple of years, and, and I just kept working at it, shooting all the time, and... Eventually, it turned into a career, also because I couldn't do anything else. I really didn't have any other skill sets. I rarely find a story that I'm not cringing at when it comes to disability, just simply because, I mean, even here at the J School, the number one J School in the country, we're not taught how to really talk about disability. Um, We do learn people first language. We learn things like that, which is good. But, I mean, even in my time here, people have done stories on me that I'm like, oh, no, like, this is so bad. I mean, like, I remember one of the most striking moments for me was when I was in my 2150 class. and Which is a class here at the J School. And we had to post a news article every week. So I, of course talk about disability all the time because if it's a topic that makes the people around me uncomfortable, there's a problem. And I want it to be so familiar that people are no longer uncomfortable asking questions and having those conversations. And so, of course, when I'm around journalists, I'm going to always bring it up, which my peers are probably annoyed with by now. But I mean, that's just me. If you don't want to hear about disability, don't sit by me. Don't don't talk to me. Anyways, um, I tweeted this article because I was so mad about it. It was this woman who was competing in a beauty pageant. It was like the Miss America pageant or something. It wasn't Miss America. It was some kind of beauty pageant. But the headline was like, woman in wheelchair competes in pageant. And I was like just reading about it. And I was just confused like why it was a news story. And I said, I'm here because I one day want this to not be a news story like whenever people write about a person with disability I always tell them okay if you were to take the disability out of the equation would you still have a story and if their answer is no I don't think it should be a story hey you're listening to the obvious question and I'm your co-host Becky Smith so KBIA has some other podcasts you should check out as well including show me the state hosted by Christopher Husted. This podcast takes a look at myths and lore from Missouri history and figures out how that's still impacting the state today. 
We also have the True False podcast, which is an in-depth look at documentary film. You can find this and all of our podcasts at kbia.org or wherever you get your podcasts today. Um, so before, I guess before you were diagnosed, did you notice, like, like has your take on how disability is perceived in the media different? Yeah, I, I think that we like convenient disabilities. So you're, you're convenient, right? You're well-spoken, you're attractive, uh, you're the spokesmodel for MD, right? Because, you know, I yes, it's obvious, and yet at the same time it's not. It's the, it's the makeup and the attention to detail and the good clothes. So, you know, it's easy to talk to you. Don't make people uncomfortable. You get somebody with cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they don't have muscle control, and their speech patterns are, are damaged or different, and makes people uncomfortable. Because I think when you're presented with what could happen, they start thinking, well, what would happen to me? And I think that's different. Mm-hmm. So we, I mean, I can't think of a time when we've gone to a, an outside source uh, who was, had a disability. You know, even though they have smart people who do all kinds of cool things, we, you know, there's not that many professors here, obviously, with disabilities. But we don't, you know, we will only reach out to someone in the media who has a disability to comment on the disability community, the disabled community, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay. That's, and that's a failing on our part to see people as whole people. Mm-hmm. We see the outward manifestation of a disease. Mm-hmm. Of, and there's that sort of, I think there's always that sense of why did you let this happen kind of thing, you know, in the media. Yeah. With people in general. And I think it's harder for, this, for us to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So we sort of avoid it. I completely agree with that. Every single time there's any kind of disability story on campus, I'm always getting hit up for that. Um, I get so many requests every week. And I, my freshman year, I used to say yes to people. I don't say yes to anybody anymore. Just because, like, I just think it's kind of lazy reporting. Sometimes people just assume that, like, oh, you're in a wheelchair. There's a story about public, like, city buses that you never take. But what's your opinion on it? And even after I tell them I don't take that bus, like I don't, yeah. I don't know. They're like, well, okay, but like, can you tell me somebody who does? And I'm like, okay, you're assuming that I know people that take the bus because they're in a wheelchair. And it's like people I don't even think recognize that they're being like the kind wheelchair of offensive. Yeah. yeah, like they just assume. That's a big thing. People assume that I know everybody in a wheelchair, which like makes me so mad because sometimes I do know the person they're talking <laughs> about, and I'm like, damn it, I'm my own stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in reporting, that's something that isn't really talked about that much is mm-hmm. like how people communicate with within the disabled community. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like, you know, I did a story and they were calling like Mizzou Disability Coalition. They were calling Services for Independent Living, like all these places that, yes, have to do with people with disabilities, but like have nothing to do with the story they were talking about. And I know they're just trying to collect as much information as possible, but it just, like, for me, like, I was getting frustrated because I was like, no, like, that doesn't make sense. Why would you contact them? Like, they have nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. So is that something that you've seen improve in the time that you've worked or no? Yes. Well, being, you know, photo is always, 
is always different. And we did a lot of, you know, this is going to sound really rude, you know, gimp of the week, right? We'd find somebody who had some family with some problem and they would be highlighted in a story. But those aren't 360 views of people, right? It's a, it's a cardboard cutout of somebody who has a disease. What I'm trying to be conscious of is that the, you know, everybody counts or nobody counts kind of thing, mm-hmm. that we have to find a way, and I'm guilty of this too, of, you know, sort of classifying people by their abilities and therefore uh, relating to them or using them according to that. Mm-hmm. And that's silly. So I would be offended if somebody said, well, Mark's the expert on cancer or Mark is only the expert on cancer, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just, it's an element of who I am and I will. Mm-hmm can give you a pithy quote sometimes, but it's not, it's, I'm not an expert. I know my disease really well, but I don't know anybody else's disease really well. Right. Um, so I'm not an expert. And I tend to think that people like to classify you as an easy, you're, you're an easy mark, so to speak. Do you ever feel like people are kind of, they act like they're entitled to your story whenever they ask about it? Yeah. You know, so this is, I, this is where I, I'm not very private about it. Mm-hmm. because students don't get many chances to talk to people, especially something as difficult as cancer, mm-hmm. very often. And so I've, we do that. You've seen that interviewing thing we do where you know, the room goes around and asks questions. and Everybody builds on the last question. They start again after five, and, and I'm usually the subject for it. And I'm always astounded that nobody bothered to Google me. You know, they'll have these kind of you know, surface questions. And then I'll lay bait out. I'll leave a question with a with a follow with an obvious follow up, and watch them not catch the follow up. So I'm always really open with students about it because, like I said, I think that there's not a much, much of an opportunity for them to uh, have contact with somebody who has and a place of comfort. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to be a reporter to learn how to talk to people about difficult things. Yeah. So this is my gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been that. You know, I think that the Cancer thrives in the dark, and we don't talk about it because it's cancer, you know, somehow contagious. I don't know. So I like to get it out there and just say, this is it. You know, this mm-hmm. is it's a disease, and then eventually it will kill me. But right now, you still have to turn that thing in on deadline. You yeah. Know? I'm going to be alive for deadline. Yeah. <laughs> Support for KBIA and for the Obvious Question podcast comes from Kilgore's Medical Pharmacy. Locally owned and supporting the community with delivery, a drive through and three locations in Columbia and Ashland, and the SYNC program for medications. Learn more at KilgoresRx.com. Kilgores, we make you feel better. Okay, so as the person with the least authority to talk in this room, here's my idea. Yeah. Like, here's what I'm wondering. We see limited types of coverage when people in the newsrooms don't truly understand the experiences of those groups. So I think we see stories about people who are Latino that are only about illegal immigration, right? We see Mm -hmm. such a limited view of that because people only hear about that minority group when it's the big, hot, I mean, not sexy, but you know what I mean, like the sexy news peg, right? And so I'm wondering if it's almost the same thing because we don't have these reporters who are disabled or have experiences with disability in newsrooms. So, like, right, we don't get to the what about travel issues for people with disability, right? We don't get to the actual meat of any of those experiences because there's not anyone who's lived that part of it. Well, and I think I think what it does is devalues all the time you spend becoming an expert on something. 
we don't get past the identity issue. That's the problem, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, okay, so that's part of their backstory. But what do they, you know, what can they tell me about mm-hmm. this that they've been doing their entire lives, or you know, can I get comment on something other than what's it like to be a minority in the newsroom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of like I've noticed that disabled media is evolving right now. Like mm-hmm. it's growing a lot with like. Um, you know, the way that people look at disability, I see it changing. Um, and it's changing in a lot of positive ways, but also, like, it's kind of disappointing because I guess I'm seeing now that, like, people don't care what they what doesn't affect them, like, at all. I mean, why would they? Um, but, like, even with, like, Jillian Mercado, who's, like, a model who has MD, mm-hmm. um, you know, every time she does a show... That's always the headline about her. But then, you know, her wheelchair got demolished and she did a lot of public, you know, things about how planes are horrible on chairs. And um, she spoke a lot about how, like, that really put a damper on her trip and she couldn't go anywhere or do anything. She was stuck in a loner chair that wasn't powered. Um, And people just didn't care. And it's like... You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, is this really a matter of, like, because, I mean, we are starting to see some representation, and I know that's kind of tokenizing to just say, like, oh, we have that now. But, um, like, I feel like when the issue, the real issues, like, the the reasons why disability is disabling, people don't really care because they're like, okay, cool, like, I can get on a plane. Like, that should be, that should be major news. When people tiptoe around disabled, (laughs) like people don't, sometimes people don't know what to call me. And yeah, it's important that people like have their own labels, but I like being called disabled. Right. Um, Like that's my, it's just kind of a term that I've been comfortable with. And it actually makes me really uncomfortable when people call me like differently abled and that kind of a thing. Um, Just because like, I don't see disabled as like, oh, I'm not able to like do anything. It's just, it doesn't mean the same thing for me as it does for other people. And a lot of times able-bodied people will use that term like differently able because it makes them feel more comfortable when talking about it. And I don't like that. I, I think that that's, that's kind of like telling me that being disabled is bad. Right. And I don't see it that way. And if you're writing a piece and you don't know what to call somebody... Just write it the way that you you think and then ask them. And if that's not their, like, word, then they'll let you know. But don't assume that the most politically correct way of saying something is how somebody should be addressed. Because I want to vomit every time I see differently abled. I hate it. Like, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's either people like stories 
that make them feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what disabled people are used in the media, or people with disabilities are used in the media. I'm glad I'm the only one who does that. No, I, I'm so bad at person first language. Like, I, I think it's good to have, but like, I've just always talked, like, I didn't learn how to talk about myself in that way when I was a kid. But yeah, like, I, I just feel like whenever I do something that it, like being constantly made to feel inspirational or like told that you're an inspiration it becomes hard to like just do normal things without being like oh my gosh like i need to do this amazing i'm representing yeah and that's the thing that was something i struggled with a lot in college was oh my gosh if i'm bad at this people are gonna think like i'm working with people that are gonna think people in wheelchairs just can't do this and then they're gonna be like oh we have to work with maddie and like I think I told you this story. So I was on this minority training program mm. to get, and that's how I ended up in Kansas City. Mm. And we had just won the Pulitzer. Mm. Um, and we're at a Pulitzer party. And my city editor, who's nameless at this point, uh, was a little drunk. We were all a little drunk. And he comes up to me and says, you know, it's a good thing you're as, you're as good as you are. And I said, well, I'm thinking, that's really nice. And he goes, because we'd have to hire you anyway, being Mexican and all. Just on a team that won the P Prize. I just, it was, I went home. It was just nothing, you know, what do you say after that? Yeah. You know, I got here, and that's, you know, it's like a disability. Being a minority, you have to prove to people that you, you belong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've mentored a lot of, man, I've tried to get managers into the business, mm -hmm. my managers of color. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, you're going to be twice as good just to be half accepted. Yeah. And I'm sorry, it sucks, but. Yeah. What do you want? That, you know, that's real. You got to buy your way into this and then keep it by working hard. Mm -hmm. And as I always, you know, when somebody brings this up, it's always like, well, you've been foolish not to hire me because I'm better than you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really hard. That was hard in the J school for me because I constantly felt like everybody, I would go into a room and people see automatically all the things I can't do. Mm -hmm. They don't see all the things that I can and so I always felt like I had to prove myself and, like, do everything ten times as good yeah. yep. so that people see me as equal with them. Yep. And oh. the best advice that I was given was actually something that Jessie told me. And she was just like, fuck them. Like, why do you care what other people think? Just do what mm -hmm. you want to do. And, like, you don't have anybody to prove anything to. You just, you know you're good. Just keep being good and doing good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, but that, it's good for you. But you still have to get that out into the into the world, mm -hmm. and that's hard, you know, because you, you can't control, you know, the jerkiness of other people. Yeah, it's, it's you know now at my stage, and I've had enough in my career that people don't tend to mess with me anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's at their own risk. But you know, it was that was a long fought battle to get there, mm -hmm. and you know, I've heard all, you know, I've heard it all, and I'm just at a point in my life like. Fine, whatever. I'm just moving on here, guys. Mm -hmm. you know, I have time for your silly racist thoughts. Yeah. Even if it's in unintentional racism, it's like mm -hmm. I'm not the super minority. Mm -hmm. I'm not the super cancer guy. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm just the guy who's doing the best he can every day. Special thanks to the whole obvious question team. This episode was produced by me. The supervising producers are myself and Aaron Hay. 
Ryan Fumulner is the managing editor, and Nathan Lawrence keeps an eye on the digital and social side for us. This has been an episode of The Obvious Question. I'm Maddie Lawson. And I'm Becky Smith. Thanks for listening.